This is the Visionary Founders Podcast, helping founders to activate their biggest visions, create extraordinary lives and businesses, and to make a difference in the world. I'm Lisa Mitchell, and I'll be sharing everything you need to lay the foundations and growth to create a legacy. In this show, you'll learn the practical and profound changes to make in yourself and your business to have the impact you desire, because you are a visionary founder. So hello and welcome to this episode. And I am joined by a fabulous guest today, Leon Arts. And so I'm really excited to get into this conversation with you and talk all things visionary founders, Leon. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Lisa. I look forward to it. Brilliant. So I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes um, intro just so you guys who are listening can get a sense of who Leon is. So Leon sees himself as a modern day alchemist and philanthropist. His career spans from being a top chef to social entrepreneur, a TEDx speaker, the author of four books and the founder of three charities. He lives his life aligned with his purpose, no one to bed hungry. Currently, Leon is head of Felix's Kitchen a kitchen built to cook 1.5 meals a year for children, families, and people in food insecurity in London using surplus food. In his spare time, he cycles, reads, spends time in nature and with his two children. He mentors people to live a more meaningful life leading by example. A life-changing experience led him to give up his business life and to focus on empowering others. So just a tiny, tiny things to talk about here. You've been busy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, very busy that since, you know, when COVID started um, March uh, last year, I started a charity to help feed um, the people of food insecurity in London. This was actually before the first lockdown and I realized London um, would go hungry. Um, I could see that many people, unfortunately, are living paycheck to paycheck and you could already see people being laid off. And um, it seems ages ago now, doesn't it? But yeah. um, it's not actually that long. And um I just sort of had that vision um, to, you know, find a kitchen, get people involved. And because, you know, I've done something similar before, and I'm sure we get to that later. And I thought it was going to be easy, you know. So I put a post on Facebook and said, um, you know, who can help? We're going to feed uh, people in London, cook meals. And, uh, yeah, that became, that grew very quickly, very big. And it was an amazing experience. And out of that came that I'm now running Felix's Kitchen uh, for the Felix Project, where we built that kitchen you just mentioned. So from one very busy year running my own charity, then into opening a massive kitchen in East London and uh, getting that up and running, it's been a very busy time. And and I love, I love that it's all on your mission, right? So I talk about visionary essence. And so yours is no one to bed hungry. That's what underpins everything you do, right? So just tell us like, where did that, where did that come from? Have you always been conscious of that or? No, no, that, that, I became conscious of it. It was there all the time. You know, it's in us, inherently in each and every one of us. Mm. You can't escape it. But I became conscious of it in 2010 when I was writing my first book and I was writing about purpose and I thought, I don't know mine. And, you know, some people say you need to be able to define your purpose in six words. And I couldn't get that. I couldn't get that. And all of a sudden I realized that I said, was no one to that hungry. But at the time I was already like six chapters in, in my book. Mm. And then I started looking back in my book and I already wrote it like eight times or something in the book. So um, uh. it was in me. I didn't even realize it myself. And our purpose is so inherently us that we don't even see it ourselves, you know, up till a certain moment, of course. 
so for me, it, it's always been there. You know, as a ch- young child, I, I was overweight. I loved eating. My dream was as a child, you know, imagine that you could eat as much as you wanted and you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't put on weight and it wouldn't be unhealthy. That that was my dream, I thought, as a child because I loved food. And of course, that's different than no one to that hungry. But for me, I always had a, a sort of a longing for more connection and understanding. Mm. And um, I felt that I was misunderstood and that the people didn't see who I was. And of course, my family did. I come from a very nice family. I had a very nice, loving upbringing. But in me, I didn't see that. So that longing was always there. And um, mm. then um, up till I was 40, yeah, 41, I think, I always tried to prove myself. I thought when you prove yourself, you, um, you're liked and you will have friends. So um, that was my sort of my go-to thing all the time, trying to be number one at something. And when I was 19, I um, was at a hotel management college and I had to go in the kitchen and I thought I'm going to hate this. And um, intuitively, of course, this is in hindsight. I didn't realize at the time, but intuitively I knew I can be number one at this. That first mm. morning ever in a professional kitchen when I was 19, and I thought, how am I going to get through this? And I stayed in the kitchen many, many years. I became a chef after the college. And um, so that came from that longing from, you know, having more understanding and connection. But of course, life, when when your purpose is something, life gives you everything you need in order to fulfill your purpose. Yes. And, you know, what this, the famous Steve Jobs uh, quote, you know, you can only connect the dots backwards. And, you know, that's the same for me. I, I tell many stories now to you and other people where in hindsight, I realized what was going on. I didn't necessarily realize that at the time, but that your spiritual journey comes in. And when you get older and, and of course, many children now are a lot more aware than I was at the time. Um, when you are aware and find that stillness within, then you can connect the dots as, uh, and then you see what's really going on in your life. It's not what you see in the eyesight world, what happens. It's what happens within you. So yeah, my purpose. So it's a long answer to your question. It's always been there. Oh no, but I love it because because I I love that. I mean, I love that Steve Jobs quote and you know his Stanford address where that was all explained and you know how he did calligraphy and he had no idea why he was doing it, but that became the foundation of Apple. And I think that whole principle is really important, isn't it? Because yes. we can go so much into the how and trying to figure everything out and all of those things, but actually as you describe, it's when you go within and when you start to, you know, move forward in a kind of aligned way that these pieces start to appear, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I, I love your sense of connection also. I think that's something that you and I have in common is this um, desire for more connection. And you and I were talking before about, you know, that 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 seems to have kind of been dissipated even more in the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So how is how is this connection and food aligned for you? Well, I come my my mum, um, she was a very good cook. She never had any training, but every day she, you know, the, her recipe books, which we as children still have, she used to cut out, you know, I'm talking uh 70s, you know, it was totally different than now. There wasn't hardly any uh, cookery books on I don't think there was chef books at all. She used to cut out recipes from magazines she'd read from, uh, from friends, write them down. And she used to cook a different recipe almost every day of the week. Mm. So we, we were spoiled as children. And, you know, it wasn't because we were wealthy, not at all, but she made something and, um, and that was her, that she loved it and baking all the time. So I come from a family where food was shared. And, um, also my grandparents was exactly the same. And, 
I said that in my TEDx talk, I started with uh, the sentence, young loves to get eaten. And that means, yeah, boy, would you like something to eat? Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing in my family and, and, and the area where I come from, what you would ask if you visit someone. That doesn't happen nowadays anymore. And that was, you know, because food breaks down barriers. Food creates mm-hmm. greater connections and understanding. So first we would share some food together. That could be a piece of pie during the day or lunch or dinner. And then, you know, real conversations started to happen. And um, so I, I grew up with that whilst I was longing for more connection and understanding mm-hmm. myself. And uh, so food has always been a very important part in my family's life and in my own, you know, as a young boy, when I was 19, when I started cooking. And, and in the beginning, it was just to prove myself. And I see that actually in a lot of professional chefs who are very successful, I see similar things in their you know, that trying to prove them. And, you know, that's in a way beautiful to see. On the other hand, when you take that out of your life, then you can start relaxing and really fulfilling and really become really good at what you're doing. Yeah. So I think a lot of us who have, you know, had that that part of our journey where we're driving and pushing because of an internal gap, right? And trying to prove something, trying to be what I call like normal, whatever normal is, you know, trying to fit in, you know, especially for people who are visionaries who actually are not the norm. And I certainly, for my journey, gone through a whole period of trying to fit in and be like everybody else. And it's a hopeless task, actually, if you're different. (laughs) I tried too, yes. (laughs) So what was that point for you where you stopped trying to, to fit in, achieve, fill that internal gap and you move that journey more internal? So... Yeah, I, I know that point very well. So that was in 2007. I was 41. And I, by then, so I, after I became a chef, I worked in top end restaurant at my own fine dining restaurant in the 90s. Then I came to England. So I, I'm Dutch. I came to England in 2001 to start a fine food wholesale business. And in 2007, we were very successful, but we also had many, many challenges. And I went to a kind of it was called Entrepreneur Business School in Bali, where, and um, this was an event where there was seven mentors, where you try to make your business bigger, but also make it a social enterprise, global social enterprise, seven mentors and 12 um, people from all over the world taking part. So it was very intense, very deep. And they asked me, um, and I had many challenges in my business at the time in London, whilst I was in Bali, you know, things were just not going the way I hoped. And um we were by then were number one in our niche industry. And um, on the first evening, the guy who uh, organized it stood behind me and was introducing me to the rest. So there was like 20, 25 people around a big table under the blue sky in the evening in Bali, you know, absolutely stunning. And they said to me, Leon is already successful, been a top chef in the Netherlands. He has this business in London supplying Gordon Ramsay and Jamie Oliver and all that. And um and the only thing I could hear was, stop it, stop it. I'm not successful. I Because uh, I could only see the problems I was facing at the time. Mm. And then um, the day later, you know, you had to present your business idea where you, why you were there. And I had this idea for social food business, which could become global. And they asked me to share my story. So I started telling, you know, um, you know, I would used to be chef, blah, blah, blah. And they loved it. And I felt so out of place at that event, although everyone loved me being there. And I just felt, I don't belong here. I'm not good enough. You know, that voice in your head. Mm. And I totally froze. I totally froze. And so the week went on and I've, you know, sometimes when you 
really don't feel, and you know, my throat chakra was totally blocked. I, mm. I hardly spoke. I, I was really challenged. And during the week, they asked me again, Leon, tell us your story. And they loved it. And on the plane home, and I done an exercise with someone who helped me release some of those blockages. And on the way home, I realized, and it was the longest flight I ever had. It was from Bali to London, was like 24 hours. There was st- extra stops, there was delays. And I was on the flight and I, so I had time to think and uh, what's going on. And I realized, I thought, I don't want to be unhappy. And why am I, um, I got nothing to prove. Yeah, that's, I, I realized I got nothing to prove. Why am I trying to prove myself? I realized that I could achieve anything I wanted. And I've done that twice by then in my life as a chef in the Netherlands and with my business, because I proved everything with my business, which I set out to do. And I realized, yeah, but I'm not happy. I'm not myself. I realized I'm doing that flight. So I came home and said to my wife, um, we're going to stop with the business. And she understood. And the only thing she said was yes. And then six weeks later, so I had a meeting with my uh, financial director and started to process. And um, six weeks later, we stopped the business. We didn't sell it. We closed it. And um in hindsight, we lost a lot of money, but you know what? That doesn't matter. It's the best decision I've ever made because mm. from that moment on, I could be myself. And that was my goal to become fully myself. And that's still my goal 14 years later. And I work on that every day. And that's the most beautiful journey. And that's the journey within. And of course, that I promise you that it's been challenges in the last mm. 14 years, but you know, there's so much beauty which comes because of it. And, um, yeah, so that was the moment. Mm. So fascinating. And and I'm sure so many people listening will resonate with that. A, that sense of dissatisfaction. You know, all the pieces look great. You've got this great life. You've got this great business, et cetera. But something is unfulfilled inside. And I loved, I, I read in one of your pieces that you said, I just decided that being Leon was enough. Yeah. I would just be Leon and that was enough. And that really moved me when I read that because I just thought, Gosh, isn't that the point? <laughs> it is. Yeah, in my opinion, it is. You're right. Yeah. And also, I'm, I'm kind of interested because I always say I've worked with big organizations and I've worked with more founder-led organizations. And I always say that as a founder, someone who's created something, that really you're on your own personal journey. And then it kind of manifests in these businesses and enterprise and organizations. But actually what you're describing is you're on your own journey, right? Yeah. And and you and then you create something in the outside. Is that how yeah. it feels for you? Yeah, but no, I think that creating is the journey okay. in the sense that the only thing we need to do as, as, human, as souls of human beings is to get out of the way. So what I created over COVID and what I did in the refugee crisis... And, you know, my my books I, I wrote, I'm not a writer. And I when I read them back, and I think that's not me. Yeah, I, I stand 100% behind it, but I don't. that's not the way I talk. And I feel that comes through you. So the only thing we need to do is remove all the layers, all the, 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 the walls we built, all the limited beliefs or patterns, you know, take them away to be totally in touch with, you know, I believe there's a force higher than us, whatever you want to call it, God, the divine, the yeah. universe, it doesn't matter. But to let that come through you and that 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 energy will guide you and that allows you to create those things, you know, at, like at a very fast pace. And every, the more you do that, the more you become yourself and free yourself, the more, the quicker it goes. And, you know, we talk about manifesting and then instant manifestation then happens at such a 
fast speed. It's absolutely amazing. And that only happens when you're totally aligned. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons I love to have the, these conversations and I love to work with visionaries and founders because I was talking about it to actually somebody that does the branding for my business. And she said, well, what is it these guys have? And I said, it's like they have a direct line to the universe. It's not about them. It is and it isn't. But, you know, it's that it's that flow through. And often that means that you make illogical decisions, right? So closing your business down was definitely not the logical decision. You could probably have come up with a more practical, logical way to do that and still move on. But the sense of it was actually, I need to close that down in order to do the next piece, you know? Yeah, because I realized it wasn't me. I realized that even becoming a chef, which I loved, and I loved doing my business, but it was taking me so far away from my core and that I wasn't happy. And I, I can't say that, you know, when you would have met me then that you said, oh, what, well, you know, Leon is a miserable guy. And I don't believe that that was happening at all, but inside, and I realized that it took me, you know, when you're in flow, it, it takes you no effort at all to do what you need to do. And you know, that doesn't mean sometimes you work 16 hour days in order to get it happen in the begin to make it happen in the beginning. But I've always felt, especially when my business was growing and it was removed more and more from who I truly am, it took me 300% to keep it going. And yeah. I, you know, I have that energy, but it, it took a lot for me. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I would, I would love people to hear a bit more about your experiences. So there's yeah. two big projects that you've created from a sense of vision and as you describe, kind of following those pieces, right? So yeah. I'd love you to talk about your journey in Calais because I think that's such an inspiring story and an example of what you can create when you just follow the flow, right? Yeah. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? So starting with Calais, yeah. So, um, you know, I love how these stories come together, whether that's in my own life, of course, but or when you hear people talk about it and I, you know, so in 2015, when the refugee crisis was starting and at, at the height, when we saw the images on TV, all these refugees in the Greek Isles, and we had no idea where they came from. And I wanted to do something. I had a bit of time, but I didn't know what. And I was looking at it, and I hadn't really made any decisions. And all of a sudden, in September, I had a message from a, a friend, but a, a friend, you know, someone I met only once. And we instantly hit it off a few months before that message. And uh, then you become Facebook friends nowadays, but you know that doesn't mean anything. And I'm, um, and he messaged me and he said, Leon, we want to start a kitchen in Cali, in uh, in the camp, and we thought of you to help us. So I sent him a message back and I said, Jonathan, wonderful, just let me know what I can do. And then I realized that the one time that we met, we spoke about other things. I didn't share my story with him. So I said, Jonathan, did you know that I used to be a chef? And he said, No, Leon, I have no idea. So we go, ha ha ha. And then two weeks later, I find myself, I arrive on a, on a ferry. I find myself in the, the jungle in Calais because I said I would help. I had it like three weeks time. And um, basically, uh, Jonathan and his friend uh, set up a marquee in the middle of the jungle, the, 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 the refugee camp, which was then there. And they wanted to cook. And we thought we we're going to cook for 200 people a day and help. And in three weeks, this all will be over. You know, we foolishly, honestly thought, because then our governments got their acts together. And um, within 10 days, we were doing like 1,100 meals every day, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner combined. That was all we could do. And um, one day I was walking around in that time. And I was about in Calais a week at the time, a week, 10 days. And then I came back to London uh, for a few days. 
And um, I was in Calais walking around by myself. And you have to imagine this was built on the local tip. It was, you know, the the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And 10,000 people crammed on top of each other, 60 nationalities, the police on the outside shooting rubber bullets and tear gas most of the time. You know, those 60 nationalities don't necessarily get on. And they have been under huge pressure traveling. And, you know, they had, oh, it was horrible. Anyway, I was walking around there. There was hunger in the camp. And we did what we could. There was about three kitchens like ourselves. And I wanted to, I thought, I want to feed everyone. I don't just want to feed those thousand people. And um, so I came back home and started thinking. And, you know, I thought, listen, you've been a chef. I don't need to be there to cook. Many people can cook. But I got it. I, I know that I know the wholesale industry because I had my wholesale uh, business in the 2000s. And I just started, again, I put something on Facebook and said, uh, you know, who we need food, the canvas hunger. I know I said something like Mayday, Mayday in capitals on a Facebook post or something like that. And then I said, there is hunger, you know, we, and that night I raised 10,000 pounds on the back of one Facebook post. And, you know, because people shared it. And um, I started to buy food and I started to connect and people said, hey, there was a corner shop in uh, South London who wants to give you uh, some veg and things like that. So I started to organize it. There was lots of volunteers helping. It wasn't just me, but they showed up. And so I shared the vision. And within two months later, we were sending a, a, a lorry full of food to Keller every day, every week. Wow. And um, we needed about 20,000 pounds to do that. And, you know, many people showed up and by that time, there was a big kitchen in the warehouse, which other people set up, which we were helping. We set up a system that every check and every hut and every tent in the camp would get the food they need to cook for themselves as well. And um, that was Keller Kitchens. That taught me how when you have the vision. And, you know, when I walked in the camp that day, when I thought I want to feed everyone, then my, my mind went, yeah, but how are you going to do it? You know, I don't know how to do this. I heard this voice saying to me, Leon, just start and everything you need will come. And it did. It did. It was the most beautiful journey. You know, I met as refugees, the most beautiful people I had. I met lots of mainly English volunteers who were absolutely amazing. You know, someone to live in France just to help. And it's about holding the vision. And when you have that big vision, never, ever weaver from it. That's for me the main thing. Trust. And when you hold that vision, the universe will step in and give you everything you need. And of course, in this reality, that might seem we have thousands of reasons why that won't work. But that's exactly how it works. You never, ever weaver from your vision. And then all the support you need comes to you. And then in a way, you can't even imagine, you you, you know. Yeah. And I, I think it's that kind of like one of my friends says, you need to allow the universe to surprise and delight you. And I love that. It always sticks in my head because from our limited perspective at the time, you can't figure it out, right? You couldn't yeah, figure yeah. out how all that was going to transpire. It's it's impossible from that sort of perspective. So you have to allow the thing to evolve and grow. And one of the things you said to me when we were talking before about it was that when you went around the camp, people would share food with you. Yes. So even though they didn't have anything, they would share food with you. You know, which kind of feeds into your background, your philosophy, everything, right? Yeah, that was so powerful. That's true. So I never forget, I arrived on a Thursday afternoon at about five o'clock. And Jonathan, uh, the guy I spoke about earlier, was in the camp already. And so 
that was the first time I couldn't come earlier for some reason. That was the first day that the kitchen cooked and they cooked 100 or 200 meals. And it wasn't a kitchen. It was just two, at the time, it was just two gas burners on grass, you know, with a marquee on top of it. And uh, the, um, there was still space in the camp, which definitely later wasn't, you know, people were really on top of it. Anyway, I arrived in the camp and he said, let, let me show you around. Let's walk around the camp. You know, we finished the cooking. So this was a, an, a beautiful October evening. And um, we started, you know, you walk through the camp and people um, started chatting to us and they asked, where are you from? And, you know, when you said, oh, from London, they, they loved it and that's where they want to go to. And people said things like, oh, tell me everything about London. How do the, the, the pavements look like? How do the birds sing? How do the streets smell? Honestly, I had those kind of questions. And yeah, you think, yeah, just like here, you know. <laughs> and um, anyway, they started to share their food with us. And um that's when I realized that the people who have absolutely nothing, they are so insecure about their future. They don't know what's going to happen. At the same time, the police is on the outside. And they, you know, they've been through so many trials and tribulation on that journey getting there. And they had the power to get to share that little bit of food they had mm. with us. That that made a big impression on me. And of course, you know, as I got to know the camp a lot better and being there a lot. Yeah, that I realized the power of sharing a meal because sharing a meal with someone breaks down barriers and creates greater connection and understanding, which lasts longer than the time that you have that meal together. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was a very powerful day, that first day when people started doing that. And um, and you weren't just there to cook, right? You were also help getting them to help you and, as you say, kind of empowering them to take charge of the situation in whatever way they could because... I often say that I think feeling powerless is like the worst feeling ever. Feeling yeah. like you're you're you know at, you've got circumstance around you you can't change. So sometimes even the little things create change, right? Yes, and you know empowering people. So we were cooking, and then we had feedback from refugees that they wanted to cook for themselves, and they made little wood fires. And of course, you know you can imagine it, for miles around the camp there was no wood to find very very quickly. So we then spoke about it in our team and, you know, we wanted to get food in so they could cook for themselves. So they would get from us onions, tomatoes, spices, biscuits, if we have extra money, tins of fish, if we could, you know, for the protein and, you know, everything else to cook for themselves and, you know, really tailored to what they needed. But of course, you know, then we, you know, people gave us little pans and we, you know, we did, we asked for that. So, um, and then we, okay, but how can they cook for themselves? And there was a, in the warehouse, there was a warehouse close to the camp, which kind which another organization funded. And um, that was a wood yard. So we were getting old pallets and things like that. When we were wondering, how can we do that better? All of a sudden, someone from Ireland emailed us and said they, they had, I can't remember, something like 10 or 15,000 pounds. And how could they help best? And we bought, they bought for us, a, I believe it was a thousand little wood burners. So mm. that came out of the blue. We weren't even thinking about it. We didn't have that solution, but someone else came with that. And so we could give most of the little groups in the camp a wood burners so they could cook the food and we had pans. So, you know, solutions come just out of the blue. And I give you an example. So we needed about 20,000 pounds a week to fill that lorry every week. And that came from people like ourselves, mainly doing smaller mines. There was no um, support from government. The camp was illegal. So no foundation would give us grants or anything like that. That was for the whole camp, for everything which happened there. But we managed. We always managed. And one day, the camp was screaming for food. I was in London, and I always did the orders, like 
you know, it was really funny. One day I ordered like 1.2 million tea bags. So that was really fun. <laughs> but uh, no, so I did, I ordered like four pallets of small tins of tomatoes at the same time. And we used to go to Lidl's because in Lidl's we could get tins of fish the cheapest, cheaper than in other wholesalers. So that was really funny that, you know, they realized pallets of tins of fish from a, a normal Lidl's, you know, onto the car park oh and reloading it into vans. Anyway, one day I placed an order for tins of tomatoes and chickpeas and all this kind of things. And it was 13,000 pounds. And so I ring the woman who was doing the, the, the payments and everything, who was also a volunteer. And I said, I just pl- placed an order for 13,000 pounds with, you know, our supplier. Can you, um, can you pay that? And she said, Leon, we have no money. And I said, what are we going to do? And yeah, she said, I don't know. I said, yeah, but the canvas, the, they're screaming for the food. There's really hunger. And, um, yeah, we didn't know what to do. Anyway, this on this was on Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning. She rings me up and she says, uh, "I just paid the invoice." I said, "How did you do that? We have no money." And she said, "I don't know. I looked on the bank account this morning, and we had enough, and I paid it." Wow. And that kind of strange but beautiful stories. Uh, you know, everyone who's done that work kind of work can give you hundreds of them, mm-hmm. and that happens when you fully aligned and in that and that you know, yeah. For me, that make those kind of things and the people you meet make it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the same with Compassion London, you know, where you were feeding people in London during the pandemic was again an instinct for you, wasn't it? Of kind of like, you know, people will be hungry. There is a need here that we need to fulfill. And I know you've got lots of stories of kind of how all that, again, you know, you look at it and go, well, how on earth will you do that? You know, there's no government money there's nothing going on and yet in the same way it all transpired and came together right yes and that in a way became together even more beautifully because I was a lot stronger as well you know it it was like four years later or some yeah 2015 2020 yeah five years later and so yeah I was in a in a different space you know I learned more but I so what happened was on um the 18th of uh, March, so the, the Wednesday before our lockdown, I uh, woke up and I heard, again, I feel things, but, you know, it's uh, easier to explain. I heard this voice that said to me, Leon, you need to do in London what you did in Cali. This was when we all very fearful. The government hadn't closed the country yet. All the other countries around us were closed. You know, business was already very difficult. And... So I heard this voice, you need to do in London what you did in Cali. And I knew immediately what it meant. But I was traveling that day, coming back to England from Holland. I was there on a consultancy. And in the evening, I put on Facebook, London's going to be hungry. Um, I'm going to start something called Compassion London. We're going to feed thousands of people every day. And who likes to help? And by the way, who has a kitchen? And a friend on Facebook saw my post. She said, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so. And... um which I did. So two days later, I had a kitchen. And then I said, okay, who likes to help? And then um, five days after that, we started cooking. And by then, we were into lockdown. And I had no idea how I was going to pay for it, how um, it all was going to show up. I knew that you had to put it out there and trust that vision and never, ever weaver from it. Mm. And yeah, that became the most incredible journey where hundreds and hundreds of volunteers showed up out of nowhere. We had over 500 volunteers in 14 months, and I knew five of them before uh, COVID. Yeah. So it wasn't that it was my network. I think what happened is that people trust my trust me because of what I've done in the past, and they bought into that. And basically what you do is you create a playground for others to play in. Yes. 
yeah, that that was so fast and so I, you know, instant manifestation. We were cooking two thousand meals a day with, within ten days. Yeah. So what what have you what have you learned? It sounds like you know that was a more you learned a lot in Calais, which then fed into that next project and is probably feeding through into what you're doing now, right? So what's been your personal journey? What have you learned as you've kind of gone on this journey for yourself? Well, what comes to me now is when you ask the question is never ever doubt your vision and always trust in that. So when you see that, hold that when you are a visioneer, hold that vision and hold that, you know, I think I said that to you when we spoke and I say that to people, people often ask me, how do you do something like this? Yeah. And um, so I always said, you know, the first, the, the start of COVID when there was no one on the street and we were all very fearful, what this is going to mean? And, you know, when you heard those scary stories about how many people were going to die, and of course, far too many people died, please don't get me wrong, but there was a lot of fear. And a lot of people, they said then, they said, oh, why do we want to do this? It's not going to work. And, you know, and I always said, I, I'm holding the ship in this storm, which is COVID, but I don't focus on the bow of the ship to the horizon. I focus to a point over the horizon. And that's very important, a point which no one can see, but you never doubt that. And as your ship or your organization or your business gets thrown in the storm, the only thing you focus on is that point over the horizon. And then you trust that everything be, behind you falls into place. But you, you know, I don't know if you ever done that exercise where, um, you know, you, you bend your arm and someone else tries to um, push it back. And um, that's not difficult. That other person doesn't have to uh, put a lot of force on your arm to make it straight. But when you focus with your arm on a certain point in the, in the distance, then there's no way that other person can bend mm. it. And that's a little bit the same. I hope that makes sense on, uh, yeah. a, on, a, on a voice call. But that's the same with your vision. Nothing, you let nothing weave, let you weave or throw you off course from your vision. Yes, people will try. Situations come in place and not everything happens, but you keep focusing on that vision, then everything will into, fall into place because that's the most powerful thing. Yeah. And so it's that magnetic quality, isn't it? You know, when you have a vision and you hold something, and I always say that, you know, you know, I, I always believe in the power of people. You know, I believe that inherently people are good, right? Yeah. And so when you put out a call like that, I think there was probably a lot of people who were kind of like wanted to do something, didn't want to just live in that fear and just didn't know what to do. So when you put out that clarion call, if you like, then people are, okay, I can do something. There's something that can be positive in this experience. We can yeah. come together in a different way. And maybe there was a desire and a longing for that somewhere that married with your vision for it. Yeah. yeah and, you know, I, I truly believe we all have greatness within ourselves. And, you know, it's just like an acorn knows it will be a mighty oak tree and it doesn't worry about it. It just grows and grows and grows. And that's the same for us. And I believe the more you do these businesses or projects, the faster you, you can do it. I always, you know, when I was mentoring more, I always said to people, they should try it. And I, tell my children that try to achieve mastery in one thing because then it will be it doesn't mean you have to do that the rest of your life but it becomes easier to achieve mastery in other things as well so you know put the time and work in to to do that in in one thing because you also start to understand then how it works so I'm curious because I know some people will be listening going oh my god he's done all these amazing things and he's really successful and da 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 
So do you still have those kind of like doubts and insecurities? Do you still have days where you go, oh my goodness, how is this going to work? Or do you know what I mean? Do you still have those days? Yes, sometimes. Yes, I do, of course. Um, And I hate those days, to be honest with you. I don't like it at (laughs) all. I so love the stillness. Because people always say, you know, in, in meetings or when they get to know me, oh, you're so calm. And to me, that's a beautiful compliment. And I love that. Mm. And I love it when I'm in that space where I'm calm and 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 relaxed and, and not and to be honest, I'm in that um place most of the time. But something happened last week and that threw me off. And um I I actually, you know, I sleep very well. But that night I um yeah, I I didn't sleep as good as I normally do. And I hate it. And then, you know, I try to get back to it, and that helps back to that stillness. Mm. That um works better sometimes than other times most of the times really well but i you know i didn't like it at all yeah and um, yeah i remember well, there was uh so about fear and these feelings when i after i got divorced um there was a period that um i woke up and i used to have fear and you know i knew that i hated it and i had that every morning and i realized it in half an hour was gone. And one day I thought, Leon, if you know that it's, and I hated waking up and then having that feeling. And um, there was a few things going on in my life. And I thought, one day I thought, if you know that it's gone in half an hour, why do you let it last half an hour? And that Mm. really made it disappear. And uh, so, yeah, it's us who make that. Yes. And being, I guess, being conscious of it and being able to make a different decision, isn't it? You know, not sort of, um, brushing past it or trying to muscle past it do you know what I mean but but acknowledging it and choosing a different thing yeah. you know yeah yeah so I'm the other thing I wanted to just talk to you about was so you're now part of the Felix project yeah you've got you know running a big enterprise with people in it and you know having mm. to give them direction and move them forward and whatever so how do you stay as the visionary, following the vision, following the um, intuition and, you know, the next pieces, and also provide that kind of like direction and stability for the team? Yeah, so I run the Felix's Kitchen, which is, uh, we opened three months ago in East London, where we have the capacity to do 5,000 meals a day. At the moment, we do about 3,000 with a small team of uh, chefs and and, uh, and staff and, and lots of volunteers. So... That it came out of what I did, and I started talking to the Felix Project, and they had funding, and we opened this kitchen together. The vision is to open more kitchens in the future, so we build this as a template that could be more in London, that could be in Bristol. We don't know. And there's other ideas I'm working on, which all have to do with food and giving people meals. That That's really my thing. So um, at the moment, it's first, it's building the kitchen. So I always say I... Like I said earlier, you create a space for magic to happen where others can. So I I let my team run it. I, I'm the manager, but I make sure that my chefs and my, my packing team and my volunteer manager have everything they need in order to do their role. And you let them free in that because mm. they're a hundred times better at that than I am. Mm. And then, you know, before you can build in the vision, you have to also have to ensure that the little things are done right. So... Yeah, you work on that at the same time, but you never, ever forget the vision. So uh, there is this volunteer crisis in the UK that that is basically, a better name is volunteer fatigue, that many people did a lot of things volunteering over COVID, and they now want to go back to their lives, their work, and, you know, they think I've done a lot, which most people have, which is absolutely amazing. So it's more difficult for organizations like ourselves to 
to fulfill the volunteer gaps. So that makes it a bit more difficult. But so that but that doesn't mean you have to lose the vision. That will solve itself out by next year or so. You know, all the volunteer shifts will be filled easier, and then we will go to five sizes of meals and. So I don't lose the, the, my vision of how I can help more people. I'm, my dream is still to have social eating spaces in London and maybe somewhere else. And that will happen. Mm. But I can't let when, let's say, I mean, I'm at home now, but my team rings me up and say, Leon, we have no volunteers today. What do we do? That doesn't mean I can't lose my vision. So the vision is always there and you keep that. And then the universe will fulfill that quicker and in a more beautiful way than I can even imagine it. And then when you know that, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You, know, you know that with compassion, within six weeks, we moved into Wembley Stadium. It was one of the biggest kitchens in the country. You know, we were an organization when I first had a chat with the FA, we were one week old. We didn't even have a web page because there was no time, you know, and it happened. And um, But that's for everything. That's not just because we do something different or it's only possible for some people. Like we all can do it, but we mustn't lose the vision. We mustn't get off track. I think that's the most important. Yeah. And what I see a lot in, in big organizations, because I've often been brought into organizations where it's got to a size where, you know, the founders being pulled into the detail. And so they're not in that kind of connected vision space and, and kind of like, almost can't let their baby go you know it's kind of like yeah. so the people under here are not empowered and so I've I've been brought in a lot to kind of like you know help create that again and what people often say to me is you know we know there's something magical in here you know we joined because because there's some magic and yet now it doesn't feel magical because we started to layer in you know hierarchies and meetings and all that stuff that that people think they need in order to run an organization mm. so what, what i'm hearing from you is that you your desire is to stay in the vision and then just provide people with the tools they need yeah without you kind of getting in the way almost yeah yeah and i learned that the hard me you're right and i learned that the hard way because when i had my my food wholesale business I, I i remember sitting in my office thinking how do i do that i don't know i never went to college to learn this or i never did a course and I thought, and we we are taught that at school, that we have to be good at everything and you have to know everything. And for me, and I was by then in my 40s, it was a big liberation knowing that, no, you don't have to be good at everything. There's, there's actually people who enjoy accounts and things like that and are actually good at it and do it 10 times quicker than I can do it. And, um, you know, I remember in my 30s having my food business, still having to do the accounts by myself. I was doing it on the Sunday, going into the office on a Sunday morning because no one would disturb me. And um, yeah, it was totally out of my flow. So when you start to realize that and accept that, that's the most beautiful thing. It's okay not to be good at everything. You know, we do, um, how you call them again? You know, we, we talk to our staff and we um, evaluate how they're doing. It goes most of the time something like, well, you're really good at this, which is absolutely for me wonderful but you're not so good at that so we thought we're going to give you um a course on doing that or we want to train you in that why don't we just focus on what everyone is good at and let them be better at that because also what you're good at becomes effortless to you yes and that and you enjoy it so if you if they give you courses when you're not good at numbers or accounts to understand numbers better then you you will never enjoy it i mean Yes, I'm part of the management team in the Felix Project. I need to understand numbers, and I do, but that doesn't mean I have to enjoy it or do them. I have to understand how they work, but that that's all. So there's people in our team who love it and who are very, very good at it. 
And that's in your business as well. And in the beginning, when you have a small business, then that can be difficult because you don't enjoy something or you're not good at something doesn't mean you can't do it. You still have to pay your taxes and please do. But, you know, find the people around you. In the beginning, you have to do it yourself, but never ever whilst you're in that loose track of the vision. And then as you go through the cycles, because, you know, every cycle is bigger and you can do it faster. Yeah, that's so important. So I would say to people, try to discover and understand your vision and then your, yeah, your purpose and then create your vision and live for that. And that, yeah, yeah, that really works. And you will still go through challenges. The only thing is different is how you deal with those challenges. Yeah. And allow people to be in their own passion and their own strengths is what I'm hearing of that kind of like, you know, because I also, I think there's so often where, um, I love to create conversations between people. Yeah. I know you do too, using the power of food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I ran something recently for an organization. And the first question I got them to share with each other was, What brought you here? Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple thing, but it was actually such a beautiful moment because there were all these people who were supposed to be working together and trying to be high performing and all that malarkey. And, you know, and actually people said, well, I, like, I don't even, I didn't even know this person did all this stuff in their past. Yeah. You know, we didn't take the time to sit and get to know each other. And so how can we come together in a powerful way if we don't know who we're dealing with, yeah. you know? So that power of slowing down and connection and human relationships underpins everything to me that if you don't have that you can't build a successful business right no and not just getting to know others also getting to know yourself absolutely i think that's the most important thing and i never you know till i was yeah i I think yeah you have an idea but really getting to know yourself why do i do things in the way i do things and what is it in me well after i sold my business and then when i sort of i lived in holland again from 2010 to 2012 and what I did then is I read, someone told me this every time when something happened. And I thought I had an email and someone said, well, no, we, we decided not to work together with you or whatever. I was running a charity then as well. Or someone said something which I perceived as not being nice. I did this exercise every time. What is it in me that I attract that? What is it in me that I find that, you know, and because often you realize when something which you're looking forward to doesn't happen, that is a bigger solution or there's a bigger opportunity and one of the greatest books i've ever read which talks about that is a book called uh, the surrender experiment on uh, michael his surname escapes me now but if you google the surrender experiment and um yeah that's so true surrender to everything which shows up in your life absolutely everything because often you know and i i have the same you realize how the way you react to something is the way you see it and um Sometimes I've had that. I someone said to me once, Oh, I someone told me a story once that he said I had an email which he perceived very, very negative, didn't sleep, thought it was the end of his business. By the time he had the guts to read the email again, two, three days later, he realized it wasn't actually a very negative uh, email, but he was so fearful about that receiving an email when the email came. He, and I've I've been in those situations as well that I, you know, that I in because my mind already created a story. And um, we human beings are so good at that. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think holding that bigger perspective is so powerful, right? Because then when things happen, I sometimes have things happen that, you know, you you put yourself behind something and it doesn't work out. It's not in flow, right? And And then you get all agitated about it. So I, I always say to my daughter, look, then that's not the thing for us. 
you know, and there'll be something else that comes out. And then it's really interesting because when the thing works itself out, again, with the benefit of hindsight, you can look back and say, oh, that's why this didn't happen. Because if that had happened, we wouldn't have got to here. But without getting all agitated about the fact that the thing you've now got attached to doesn't happen, you know? So I think sometimes we get so caught up with something, don't we? That's not the thing. But our brain likes to tell us that's the piece. And if we don't have that piece, we can't do X, Y, and Z, you know? Yeah, we just have to focus on the bigger picture. And we we get often uh, stuck in the how. Yes. You know, the how comes at the very, very last. This has been such an amazing conversation, Leon. I just love it. I love your mission and, and, you know, what you're creating and, and, so I'm wondering if there's anything that you would like that you would like to ask the listeners for or anything that you want to share that you're doing at the moment that people could get involved in. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I know you have listeners from all over, but the Phoenix Project is based in London. So if you feel a call to 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 support us or help us, you know, like I said, we, we're really looking for volunteers. We in the kitchen, I need 30 to 40 volunteers per day in order to do that number so um yeah if you want to come and support us that would be great or in one of the depots the, the phoenix project has four depots all over london so that would be one thing for people who live close mm. and secondly um yeah i i think um well i was gonna this is a chinese fur which is kind of my mantra and it's uh be still like a mountain and flow like a river mm. and so the other thing i like to say to the listeners you know look within and discover who you truly are and what your purpose is and start living from that and trust your intuition trust it because that's the most beautiful thing and then you know your life will change yeah i love it mm. i love it thank you so much for taking the time to talk Pleasure. to us today i know people are going to be really inspired by what you have to share and it's so good i think to part of the reason i created this podcast was so people can see other people a bit further down the journey and give them the confidence to say, well, okay, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can follow my passion. Maybe I can, you know, give up on this thing that doesn't fulfill me and do something different and that things will work out and take the fear away. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Visionary Founders podcast with Lisa Mitchell. If you're a visionary founder and you're ready to up-level yourself and your business, connect with me at lisamitchell.co.uk forward slash connect.